Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by David Simone as we work through the Cincinnati Bearcats football season. This week is the battle for the victory bell. Fortunately, uh, because Dave was feeling frisky on Saturday night, we don't have to touch much on UCLA. We had the uh, UCLA postgame podcast while Dave was uh, live and inebriated from Nashville. So go back and check that out. And uh, good news, Dave. I, I believe we will here within the next day or so. Uh, the BCJ podcast should be fully operational on iTunes. So you'll awesome. I know a lot of people have been asking about that, so that'll be great. Well, we sold out. Yep, <laughs> we, we, we sold out for free beer and a little bit of money. Which yeah, at our level is is making it big <laughs> and coffee that we don't drink. But we'll get oh, to yeah, we'll, that too. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk some Miami Redhawks. We've got a Brady Feaster on with us. And uh, Dave, I'll let you take over to uh, to talk to Brady about the uh, the Miami game on Saturday, 8 p.m. I really love those 8 p.m. starts on a Saturday night, by the way. They are they are pretty good. Brings me brings me back to my volunteer days. Had a lot of those and and I, I love the night game, so I'm, I'm never one to complain. It gives me a, a full day of uh, enjoying our tailgate. I, I do love the night but, games. Uh, I don't like being done with work at 4 a.m., but I do love the night no, games. No, that, part, that part's rough, but uh, yeah. So, Brady, thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, to start out, just kind of give UC fans a little bit of an overview of the Marshall game. Miami opened up the season at home. Uh, dropping the game 35-28, just kind of reviewing things. It seemed to be a pretty close, pretty competitive game, but you know, what were some of your big takeaways uh, from the game itself? Yeah, so it was obviously a, uh, uh, a, tough, a tough way to start, start the season for Miami uh, on Saturday against Marshall. Marshall's pretty even, even team with Miami talent-wise. I think that's something that uh, both teams knew going in really pretty much dead even game statistically Marshall had 24 first downs Miami had 23 from a um, from a yardage standpoint Miami had 444 yards Marshall had 443 so pretty dead even in that regard uh, really what made the difference in the game uh, Miami started out flat um, Marshall ended the first quarter going up 14 to nothing um, the defense of Miami was really on their heels for the entire the entirety of the first the first quarter, uh, but they were able to settle down in the second quarter. It was twenty one seven going into half. Uh, Marshall put on an extra score on the third quarter to make it twenty eight seven, and then the Miami offense kind of got rolling. Gus Ragland, a quarterback, got into a groove, uh, started finding his receivers down the field. Um, but you know the big difference in the game in the second half, at least for sure, was Miami had the ball. Um, first and goal uh, within the five-yard line of Marshall. Uh, it took them four downs to get to the two. They went for it on fourth and goal from the two-yard line. Uh, they came up short, ended up losing by a touchdown, going four for five from the red zone. Marshall was four for four. That's the ball game right there. Um, so disappointing, disappointing way to start the season for the Red Hawks end. But uh, they, they showed a lot of good stuff. Um, and, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see what these, uh, these next 11 weeks have. Knowing, you know, after watching the UC game against UCLA and how committed they were to the run, I wanted to look into kind of how Miami did against the run. Marshall seemed to have some pretty good success with their two top ball carriers as far as carries went, you know, going for almost five yards a carry. So kind of how did that play out? Were there a lot of missed tackles? Were, was Miami's defensive line getting moved around a lot? You know, because I'm sure UC is going to – try to do the same thing this week how much could that play into into the game on saturday absolutely i think tackling uh you hit on it tackling is for sure going to be a major point of emphasis uh, that chuck martin and the, his, the rest of his defensive staff will place uh on his defensive unit this week there were definitely a lot of missed tackles that went into you know plays that could have been a loss no gain two or three yards uh, that sprung into 10, 15 yard first down carries that really the Red Hawks would like to eliminate. Uh, you know, they, uh, they're a little thin at the linebacker position as well. They have two seniors, Junior McMullen and Brad Koenig, that are the full-time anchors 
at the linebacker position, but really outside of that, they're more of a D, a DB heavy team. So that had to, you know, probably play a little bit of a part in that as well. Um, but, you know, Marshall definitely did have some success. They had some success in the air as well. Uh, and so being able to strike that balance, not really know what to expect on any given down, probably played in, uh, a combination with those other factors and helping Marshall move the, down, move the ball down the field pretty effectively. Miami seemed to – I mean, I, since I didn't see the game, but it almost seemed like in the second half they kind of gave up on the run. Gus Ragland ended up throwing it over 40 times, and it seems just as an outside observer that they've struggled pretty regularly running the ball over consecutive seasons. Is there a specific reason for that, or are they just kind of looking at it now as we're just more a passing team and are – and that's the way we're going to go from here on out. You know, that's, you bring up an interesting point. I wouldn't really peg Miami as a running team or a passing team. Offensively, I think their identity and what they want to do, and Chuck Martin's always been this way, is he wants to control the time of possession. And so any given game, uh, that can look differently. Obviously, if Miami would have gotten up, they probably would have stuck to the run a little bit more. But being down 28-7, I don't care how much you want to control the ball you don't really have that luxury in the second half when you're down by three touchdowns. Um, so really, I think the offensive identity of Miami kind of will fluctuate game to game. They do have two pretty solid backs. Uh, Alonzo Smith, he's more of the bruiser. Kenny Young, he's short and shifty. He can do a lot of things out of the backfield from the slot. Um, so if they, if they put a concerted effort towards running the ball, it can be effective. Um, but again, that's probably going to be more of a situational, uh, situational thing. Looking at position groups, who or what group do you think you know played pretty well Saturday and definitely contributed to you know them at least coming back and make getting into the game into the fourth quarter? And then what groups maybe were you concerned about? in fall camp and then that has carried over to the first game and, you know, has you concerned moving on to the UC game? I think, I think the position that I, as an outside observer feel the most solid about uh, would be the wide receivers of Miami. It starts with big number 81, James Gardner. He's got a really solid frame. He's six, four, 215 pounds, something around that and he can win just about any 50-50 ball that's thrown his way. I mean, that was on display last year when Miami went up to Notre Dame. He had two touchdown passes. Ragland likes going to him. He trusts him down the field. So he's really the integral part of the Miami offense. And then uh, as well, there's a guy named Luke Mayock. He also has a good frame. Didn't see a ton of time last year, but he's come along strong. Jack Sorensen, newcomer who got his first start on Saturday, had a 100-yard receiving game. Uh, also, Maurice Thomas, a Talawanda product, so he's local out of the Oxford area. They'll line him up all over the place. He'll catch the ball uh, out of the slot as well. So as far as position groups, on the offensive side, receivers are definitely strong. They lose a lot this season in the defensive backfield. Lose two starters, Tony Reed, who was a – a longtime starter at safety, as well as Heath Harding, who was a highly touted uh, cornerback uh, who unfortunately dealt with some injuries last year. But if it weren't for some injuries, he probably would be uh, on an NFL roster right now. Um, so, so the guys that replaced them, uh, DeAndre Daniels and, um, and, and, a, and a transfer from junior college by the name of Zedrick Raymond. Uh, Zedrick actually – uh, is from Independence Community College, which is the uh, community college profiled in season three of Last Chance U on Netflix. So Zed has played a pretty big role. He took pretty much all the snaps um, at corner on Saturday. So we're going to need to look uh, for some production out of him as well as uh, Montgomery and Daniels and other guys such as Cedric Assay uh, in the defensive backfield. What's up? Yeah, just – and generally speaking, or even specifically, what do you think the biggest concern for Miami is going into the UC game on Saturday? I think it all comes down to execution. That was the story of the year. And, you know, everyone knows the story with the UC game last year. Miami 
for, you know, 55, 56 of the 60 minutes looked like they were on their way to taking the bell back for the first time in over a decade. And Chuck Martin missing the timeout, throwing the pick six, poor execution down the stretch really killed that game. And it killed the rest of the season. There were multiple occurrences later down the road in 2017 where Miami could not get out of their own way. Their own worst enemy was themselves. They were turning the ball over, stupid penalties that really just ended any shot they had at making a bowl game or potentially winning the Mac East. So for them to come out on top on Saturday, I think you see the way that Fickles recruited might have a slight edge on talent, but Chuck Martin's recruited pretty well these past couple of years uh, in his own, in his own regard. So talent wise, I don't think there's going to be a ton of disparity uh, across the board, but Miami has needed to execute, and that's something that they failed to do on Saturday. UC, on the other hand, uh, went into, to, into the Rose Bowl and manhandled UCLA. And so I think it's really going to come down to who can execute uh, the best, uh, and whoever, whoever does that will probably come out of Fall Brown Stadium with a win. Well, I think my only – Chad, do you have anything? Because I really only had one other question, but do you have anything to ask? The uh, only thing I'm curious about, how's the progress of A.J. Mayer? A.J. Mayer, he has really not seen a ton of reps. Gus Ragland has, you know, been taking the uh, the majority of the snaps. There's also been Alex Malzone, who is a fifth-year transfer from Michigan, who was buried on uh, – that roster with also with some other quarterbacks that uh, Harbaugh's been going through. Malzone never got his chance, so he ended up at Miami. Uh, and so, really, it will probably be a year or two until uh, he'll be able to, to get his shot. All right, I, I'm curious because I know he was one of the guys. Uh, UC zeroed in on Ben Bryant. If Ben Bryant didn't commit to Cincinnati, I think they would have uh, potentially made a pretty good push for AJ Mayer. So, I think he has a chance to be a really good one for Miami down the road. Uh, other than that, that's all I have. Absolutely. Well, do you have a prediction or anything, you know, to kind of wrap this up for what we what to see on Saturday? You know, I think I think it'll probably be a game pretty similar to last year. I think it'll it'll be a defensive battle. Uh, I'm expecting. I don't think the winner will. I think if you can score 30 points, you're going to win. I don't think either team will, will be able to do that. I'm expecting it to be. Let's say 24-21, Red Hawks take back the bell. Okay. It's, it's been a while, so I'm sure one of these years. It has been a while. It has been a while. They're, they're going to get it I'm, at some point. So, I mean, it's just, they will. It's just when that's going to happen. Absolutely. I'm a Cincinnati guy, so I, I you know, I was – I was old enough to remember the Marty Gilliard and Tony Pike days at UC and um, – so I'm very familiar with the UC football program and uh, very familiar with Luke Fickle as well. Love the way that he's recruiting the city of Cincinnati. It truly is one of the, the best high school football cities that this nation has to offer. And Chuck Martin's doing a great job up here in Oxford recruiting as well. So, you know, hopefully here for the next four or five years, UC and Miami can keep on uh, going at it and uh, having some more entertaining football games just like last year. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. That's Brady Feaster. See, I almost got it wrong. Brady Feaster uh, from the (laughs) Miami student, the Miami student newspaper from up in Oxford. Appreciate it, buddy. And uh, thanks for talking to us. Absolutely. You guys have a good one. All right. Thanks. You too. Thank you. That preview of the Miami Redhawks Cincinnati Bearcats game on Saturday, eight o'clock Paul Brown stadium was brought to you by Trace Pountas. What is Trace Pountas, you ask? Freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order. That's your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we, they ship to you has roasted the roasted date clearly printed on it. You know your coffee is fresh. Why should you buy Trace Puntas coffee? Freshly roasted coffee tastes the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All the coffee you find in your grocery store and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Puntas offers a a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. You can find out about Trace Puntas coffees in two two easy ways. First, go to their website, www.tracepuntas.com. 
com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted freshly for you, shipped out immediately. 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. <clears throat> or, even easier, you can buy Trace Puntas coffee fresh on Amazon. Visit Amazon and search Trace Puntas. Our coffee will be the first thing you see. Even when you buy on Amazon, your coffee will be roasted fresh to order and shipped out right away. Enjoy the convenience of ordering on Amazon and get freshly roasted coffee shipped right to your doorstep. Uh, on Amazon or the Trace Puntas website, all orders enjoy free shipping in the United States. So what should you do? Go to the Trace Puntas website, Trace Puntas, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee or go to Amazon. You can sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one two or four weeks that's your choice when you sign up for a coffee subscription you save 10 percent on every bag but listeners of the bcj podcast get an extra 10 percent by using the code bearcats at checkout when buying a coffee subscription this means you get a total of 20 percent off every bag of coffee in your subscription with this code you just enter it at checkout and also dave this is new this is big they now have k-cups Oh, so if you have huge. if you have the Keurig, you can get K cups of Trace Puntas coffee. So www.tracepuntas.com. Enter Bearcats at checkout for twenty percent off. And that's what I meant earlier when I said we sold out. We now have a sponsor, maybe two. Big things are happening. Maybe two. I know. CJ podcast. We are uh, chucking and jiving and. Doing all sorts of stuff. And it's only the second week of the season. Hey, I have to give credit to our sales staff, which is actually just Justin Berg. <laughs> Berg is uh, making it happen. Berg is making it happen on the advertising side of things. So go get some coffee. They track that. They 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 want to know how effective the BCJ podcast is. So all those orders yeah. that enter Bearcats at checkout, they will know that you are supporting us and supporting Trace Puntas Coffee. Uh, sounds Dave, like a great deal. It sounds like a great deal. They're, they're sending some here. I'm not a coffee drinker, but my wife is. Uh, and she's going to try it and let me know. Maybe on the next podcast, I'll have her give a testimony. Perfect. Um, all right. Well, I guess we can just wrap it up. Miami's the, is equally talented, and uh, they're going to beat the Bearcats on Saturday, huh? Hey, I like the optimism. Why not? I, I like the optimism. I'm also when you uh, lost twelve. When you lost twelve in a row, I mean, what do you got to lose? <laughs> just 13th? keep just keep picking. <laughs> yeah, one of these days, <laughs> you, you know, you flip the right. coin, it lands on head so many times. It's got to be tails eventually. Uh, but I mm-hmm. mean, Vegas says Miami's opened the line at three. I think that's last I saw it, it dropped down to one. Um, I'm not sure if it's gone back up or not. It was earlier today. Uh, but Vegas has Miami as the favorite, and the only thing that concerns me, Dave, is that kind of sounds like a sucker bet. Like they they want the money to go on Cincinnati in this situation. That makes me a little bit uneasy because all of those buildings in Las Vegas did not build themselves. That no, more than anything, not. that makes me a little bit nervous on this this deal on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know what I think since. I started doing this podcast. I'm not going to think that she's going to lose to them until they lose to them. Um, I think that if you couldn't beat UC in one of the Tommy Tuberville years or with how things went last year, I got a real hard time believing that you're going to beat them this year especially coming off of a big win. Uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, it's a rivalry game. So obviously things can happen, but you know, just kind of looking at some of the things about the game and some of the things that Brady said, I mean, Miami did not really do a very good job stopping the run, uh, against Marshall you know, almost 150 yards on 27 carries from the two starting backs. Their quarterback, who was playing in his first game, 
as a starter, had some quality runs, threw for almost 300 yards. Um, you know, Miami carried the ball for three yards to carry. Three touchdowns and, and brought them back. He has still only completed about 52% of his passes. So, you know, I just kind of think that with the way the UC defense has improved, um, I think they're, you know, I'm, I'm looking at another win for them. I think I'm in line with you. I mean, I I just don't see I mean, a way Miami I, wins I this game. I still have, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the UCLA podcast. Obviously, we're excited. But there were still, you know, there's still some things that concern me. Um, one being one catch for one yard by a wide receiver in the second half. I don't care who you're playing. In college football 2018, that's virtually impossible. It happened. I saw it. Yeah, it happened. Uh, <laughs> that concerns me still. Yeah, um, I'm still a little bit concerned about the DBs because I feel like UCLA had more than a couple instances where a guy was open and he dropped it. They had more than a couple instances where a guy was open and there was a bad throw. Uh, there was a couple instances where there was just a miscommunication between the receiver and the quarterback. I think Miami's passing game will be much more in tune than UCLA's was. Uh, I'd go as far as to say Gus Ragland's a better passer than Wilton Spate. And James Gardner's probably a better receiver than anybody that UCLA has, maybe outside of Theo Howard. Yeah. So, you know, we really didn't get to see a true test of the DBs like we were hoping to because they were an experience. Now, you know, James Wiggins obviously made a play, interception. Uh, Christian, or not Christian Bryant, that's his brother. Kobe Bryant had a nice pass breakup towards the end of the game on really the only time UCLA really tried to stretch the field. So it's not that as much concern. I'm just not sure we got anything answered from that group necessarily. And if they can't run the ball, which for all of the problems that UC has had recently on defense, they've never been able to run the ball. Right. I mean, last year, for as bad as UC played, they still only gave up 17 points. Yeah, they played like crap last year, and Miami still couldn't really do a whole lot. Right. And Miami threw the – Five, you know, for the first seven games of this 12-game streak, it was pretty much dominated by UC. So, if you really just look at the last five games where the scores have been closer, Miami is still only averaging 18.8 points a game. Right. So, you know, you know, we look at it as from a UC standpoint of, man, the last four years and even last year, UC struggled big time, especially on defense. I mean – Marshall scored over 40. USF scored something around 40. UCF scored 51 and three quarters, and they still held Miami to 17 points at home in a game where offensively they didn't do anything. So I'm just kind of trying to look and see, like, something's got to give as far as some breakdowns or some the offense turns the ball over. Something, you know, in order for me to see – Miami scored enough points. It's just, it's hard for me to see it. I mean, I agree. You know, I would also say, while I agree, agree with you on the secondary point, um, it has to be noted that they didn't throw deep in, in some sense because there, one, there was good coverage, right? Good coverage and good pressure. And two, because that defensive line was all over the backfield. I mean, right. That was the aggression and the attacking nature that we've been looking for from this Cincinnati defense for a while. UCLA didn't have any idea where the rush was coming from, who it was going to be. And then on top of that, they had no answer for Broughton and Copeland up the middle. So, 
I, I share the, the concern a little bit, but if they can get to Raglan, who's a lot less mobile than what even Wilton Spate, I think, um, you know, it, it could be a situation where he's not going to have nearly, you know, he's not going to have the opportunity to just sit back there and pick apart a defense. Um, right. I don't know. I no, I don't think that. I don't think so. And it's not even necessarily more concern. It's just a. I don't think they really got tested. And a couple of the times, guys were open. They got kind of lucky that either a ball was dropped or it just wasn't. There wasn't a good connection for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I really there was only one play that that would have been a big play, probably a touchdown, that UCLA missed on. Now, a couple of the other ones would have moved the chains on, you know, third and short or whatever the case may be. But I, I don't think there was a lot of huge plays left on the field from UCLA. Outside no, of the no, one no, where, yeah, where a guy got loose and um, it looked like probably a blown assignment or a miscommunication. And then UCLA uh, couldn't connect on the play uh, to capitalize. But, I, you know, I, I would be a lot more concerned if – you know, you saw down the field a bunch of, you know, passes that were just a little bit out of bounds, but the guy had the defender beat or take last year's victory bell game where Devin Gray right. just dropped a walk-in touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see a lot of that is what I mean. No, and I didn't either, but it's just, you know, if we're going to, you know, we can't be all sunshine and roses. I mean, there's still things no, that I need agree. to improve for this, for this game and, and games going forward, and that would be one area where, you know, I would I would like to see improvement, and and I would still, you know, they were the slow start thing. Still, it has to end. I have, I wrote this down. Let me. I need to find this because this stat is just insane. So, the last time you see led a game after the first quarter, can you guess when it was? Holy cow. It didn't ha- I don't remember it happening last year. It didn't. The last time was November 25th, 2016 Two yeah. at Tulsa. I would have guessed then, 2016 at some point. I wasn't sure when, but I I know yeah, that, you know. It, in that same season, they led us to the first quarter against ECU and Purdue. Crazy stat. The last two years, they have not led after the first quarter against the, their FCS opponent. Those games have been one game was one game was zero zero and one game UT Martin was up seven nothing. I wanted to poke my eyes out in both of those games. I'm not going to lie. So I mean, this is a two full season and a game problem. I mean, we're now at 25 games, and they have led after the first quarter in three of them. Wow. Well. I will say, I am expecting Desmond Ritter to start. Yeah, I think um, that's a fair, a fair uh, prediction. He took a large majority of the first team reps in practice that was open for the media yesterday. Um, unless something changes, I'm not expecting to see Jared Dokes. Right. Which to me, if he's not playing this week. He's not playing next week against Alabama A&M, and you're just hopeful to have him back for the OU game. The only thing I would say is if he returns to practice next week, I could see getting him five, six carries against Alabama A&M just to, you know, maybe knock the rust off. Because it's, yeah. it's been a while. Like, we haven't seen him since, oh, yeah. really since the first week of camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that, but I wouldn't envision, like, you know, no, he's not going to come back in and like split carries with right. Mike Warren. Right. I would also say, I think there's a pretty good chance we see number five this week. Yeah. And I know Luke mentioned it. Luke Fickle mentioned it on the coaches radio show last night. Um, but I, I'll tell you, he had a little extra pep in his step yesterday at practice. 
And he looked like he was preparing to get some carries in the game. Like, you know, you can just tell the, the difference in Oh, yeah. Like, speed. someone's been told, like, you're going to you're gonna play. Yeah. So they're like, all right, well, I'm about to show out at practice because I want to get carries. Right. Not just, like, get some mop-up duty. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think it had settled in. We saw it a little bit at the beginning of camp. I think it had settled in a little bit mm-hmm. that there were a lot of guys ahead of him. And, and not that I think he was dogging it, but I think you just turn it up a notch. When right, like sudden, if you're fifth and yeah. you know you're fifth, like you're still running hard, but maybe you're not. You don't have that little kick, that mm-hmm. little extra kick, right? And I, I thought right. yesterday in practice, he looked like he, uh, he was working for something, if you will. Well, if if you know our guests, you know, assessment of the defense is accurate, and they're thin at linebacker, and they're a DB heavy team. Man, pound, pound old 230-pound running back up in there and see if these boys want to tackle him. You know what, Dave? I look back at I look back at UCLA, the game, a little bit, and I don't know. I don't. I had had a couple beers. I don't remember how much we talked about this on uh, Saturday night. But, boy, the tight ends. I know the offensive line got a ton of credit. Those tight ends were a huge part of that running game. Oh, yeah. They were in 21 personnel well, most of the night. You know, on the one on the on one of the touchdown runs, at least. I mean, um, you know, the tight end caved down, and Morgan James pulled. There was a video I saw. You know, one of the guys from the Bruin Report online did a good job of like screen grabbing plays and talking about them. And there was, I mean, it was like an eight nine yard run, but it was five linemen and maybe two tight ends. And I watched the play. However many times to watch each individual guy, and each guy dominated his blocker. Yeah. Whether it was off the play, whether it was directly directly related to the play, I mean, all five linemen and one or two of the tight ends, I don't remember how many, just moved their guys out of the way. And Warren got like, you know, eight, nine yards pretty much right up the middle before someone kind of tripped him up, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't, Assert that plan again Saturday. I, I agree. I would. I mean, and especially, you know, if if, if it's going to be Warren and you're going to see Thomas, and, you know, McClelland obviously gives you a little bit. But I don't think he's – I think he's not been given enough talk. He can run between the tackles. He's not just a oh, speed yeah. guy. And he's not, you know, like – this will bring back some pain to people, but the Ralph David, David Abernathy up the middle experiment that happened no. for a while. Um, he's not five, seven, 140 pounds. Like Charles McClellan's got decent size to him. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, Taylor Boos, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious as to why we didn't see him run the ball. He was in the game. I don't know if something happened on one of the kickoff returns where he might've got popped or yeah. something. Um, I thought if he's we had were... he's had pretty pretty severe shoulder injuries pretty much every year he's been here. So yeah, and he missed a little bit of time at camp. Um, right after the first scrimmage, then he made you know he was back. But I thought we would have at least seen him a little bit backing up Warren. Uh, yeah, a, something had to have been or, up because right. you're just not going to give Warren 35 carries in that game. If if your backup is is able to go, um, and I do think the receivers will have better success this week. I think that was that's a really good secondary. Definitely, definitely UCLA's best uh, group as a whole. Um, you know, playing the three fours a little unconventional. They did get some pretty decent pressure without. You know, I think they had three sacks, but there was there was times that they were in there fairly quickly and you know made it hard for Dez so and you know if Miami can't really contain a a guy in his first start and you know Brady said that their two biggest areas of weakness were graduating seniors from the secondary I would hope that the unit could get on track this week and then hopefully kind of carry that over into you know a game that they should dominate and then than into the OU game. Yeah, I mean, if, if they can win this game, 
they're potentially looking at a strong chance to go 4-0 heading into AAC play. Conference play, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then all of a sudden you're looking at seven, eight-win season, you know, maybe maybe a little bit better of some of those swing games we talked about last week and or two weeks ago and the conference schedule go another way. Um, you know, you're just looking at a brighter outcome. Oh, yeah. Now, if you drop this game... You're right back to where you started, yeah. thinking you're gonna, you know, maybe drop the UCLA game and win this one. So it doesn't it doesn't really change right. anything. You're winning at, last winning last week only matters if you win this week. Right. You're sitting at one and one, and that's what people expected coming out of the first two weeks. So right. you, you would potentially, you know, damage some momentum. I will say, um, I saw Luke was uh, about as animated as I've ever seen him in practice yesterday. Which I think is a good sign well, of him just keeping his foot on the gas pedal. I think, you know, he, you know, obviously we've had coaches that have been a part of rivalry games. I mean, oh, Tommy Tuberville was a part of, you know, one of the biggest rivalries ever in, you know, the Iron Bowl. But I do think it probably helps that he was such a part of Ohio State, Michigan, and that even though the rivalry is not the same nationally from a player standpoint and a coaching standpoint, he knows how important those games are. So he can carry over that feeling and that energy to a different game because he's been a part of that for so much of his life. Right. Like I, I won't, we're, I won't name We're who. like Butch Jones and Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly wanted to stop playing them. I think, after the first year that they played, because you know they he also crap yeah, he also like, beat them a hundred to nothing every year, right? And he's like, "Why are we doing this?" And Butch would have just said that it was a huge deal because that's what his notes told him to say. You love Butch, yeah. He's, <laughs> I love that he's Nick Saban's personal valet now. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've t- you know. The the talk has died down this this year, I guess, because um, UC had no business winning last year. If we're being completely forthcoming about no. things, but Miami had, I mean, they had three of the most bonehead, four of the most bonehead plays practically in succession at the end of that game. That if they didn't do one of those things, they probably win. The kid took the kickoff out of the end zone and only got to like the four or five yard line. Yeah. They didn't run the ball on third and short or second and short or whatever it was after there was like a penalty. Then they didn't call timeout. And then he threw the interception. It was a... Like... If any of those, if the kid just kneeled it and they started at the 25-yard line, they probably win. If he calls timeout, they probably win. If they run the ball and punt, yeah. even if he doesn't call timeout, if they run the ball and punt, they probably win. It was as epic a collapse as you will ever see in football on any level. Yeah. On any so, level. Yeah, if you're not winning that game, why should I think you're going to win this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like I said, I, the only pause for concern for me is the Vegas line, and Vegas is really smart, and that's why I don't Maybe they gave him the three points for being at home. I wondered that. Without Vegas, knowing, Vegas without knowing miss, that they're at Paul Brown. Vegas doesn't miss that, bro. <laughs> Vegas does not miss that. Like, there's no way. Right? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's – it's a, the last time I saw it earlier today, it was already down to one, and I thought it will be even by tomorrow. Yeah. I just – So. And I get maybe a little bit of a, a emotional letdown. But I think from being around this team, I, I really like – the blend of senior leadership that they have with the young guys. Yeah, I just I find it very hard to believe 
guys like Garrett Campbell, Cortez Broughton, Marquise Copeland, Brian Wright, you know, that they're going to, you know, coming off of what happened last week, that they're going to look ahead of this game. I agree. Because why would they be looking ahead? They're playing an FCS team next week. There should be no looking ahead. Right. You should walk into the stadium and beat them by 50. Right. So, you know, why would there be a letdown? You're not going to play Ohio State next week. Like, so, I mean, so, I think we've kind of covered it all. Do you have a, you want to do a prediction? Yeah, I'm going to go Cincinnati 27-17. I'm going to say, it's very close to mine, I'm going to say 27-20. Okay. Just because these games always seem to be close lately. And I think with the way UC's playing offense, I, I don't, I still don't know if they're going to get into the 30s, but I don't. I struggle to see this Miami team against a defense that I think is better than Marshall's on the road. I mean, it is on the road, let's be honest. Scoring four touchdowns. Yeah. Let's, uh, we've got the game out of the way. Let's uh, mention Brian Wright, named Co. AAC Defensive Player of the Year with the guy that is probably going to win the award every week, or at least a share of the award every week in Ed Oliver. Well, you just say with the best player in college football. Right. Um, boy. The Bearcats are tied for fourth nationally in sacks. That's a drastic change. <laughs> I mean, it's only been one week, but hey, they have five. Yeah, and they hey, had that's like a drastic 12 or 13 change. last year, so... That's a drastic change, and it's what we talked about through the offseason. Brian Wright just makes them look different. He just yeah, he, I mean, he gives he, that defense a different feel, a different... It sure felt like he had way more tackles than they credited him for. I agree, and whether he did or not, it's just a testament to how much he's around but, the ball. Right, that just tells you how much quicker he is. Like, I figured he had double-digit tackles. Yeah. Because it seemed like he was making plays all the time. Absolutely. Um, what a great instinctive move by Luke Fickle to make that change. Uh, Tim Adams said this on the message board. I don't know if you saw it or not. But he said, not. he said he had the sense it was the best position change at UC since moving Jason Kelsey from linebacker to offensive line. Yeah. I mean, I would put – Moving Connor Barwin from tight end to defensive end up there, too. Yeah, but I think the difference in that one was Connor Barwin was pretty much an NFL tight end as well. Like, there were there were a lot of people that had projected him that he was going to get a shot in the NFL at tight end if he didn't move to defensive line. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, he might have gotten a shot, but he ended up being a second-round pick. He was obviously end, a much so. better defensive end, but he was still really good. No, I good totally as... – I mean, I, those are those would definitely be, you know, probably the top three for sure. Yeah. Uh, he's just – man, he he's so different. He's so – he's such a force that they haven't had. And, you know, they, they the different – I think more than anything for me – it's the different ways you can use that guy because he can drop and play in coverage because he can blitz because he can line up as a stand up rush end and go after the quarterback. He can. Well, yeah. He helped force a sack Saturday where they kind of put him at end and he stunted and pushed the guard into the, you know, in, back into the quarterback a little bit and, uh, you know, one of the other guys came in and cleaned it up for a sec. So. And the instinct on that play to knock the ball away, I mean, that was a damn near impossible play for him to make. Like, mm -hmm. he had he had a split second to have the ability to make that play, and he was able to get his hand in there at the only split second he had where he could have made a play on that ball, and he just hit it. I mean, it was... It, and then he's the guy that made the tackle for the safety in the end zone. Well, it was down, but well, yeah. I mean, the guy just dove on the ball to, to keep him from recovering it for a touchdown. Right, he was right there. As soon as he knocked it away, he was making a play on the football. If, if that guy wasn't back there, 
that's a touchdown, Brian Wright. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Brian Wright homer. One because I just, I, I think the guys, I, I love. Well, him. no, I mean he played. We saw it all fall camp, and he carried it over into the first game. Yeah. You know, I just think there were a lot of plays Saturday that, you know, one that sticks out. It was it was third to seventeen. And UCLA ran that swing pass to Casimir Allen. And he got out there and one-on-one in space tackled him for a four-yard loss. And there were a lot of plays like that that last year should have been three, four, five-yard gains, but were were eight, nine, ten-yard gains. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just feel like the overall team speed is where we're going to see. Like, okay, a great example, too. DTR was running to the left for a first down on the drive when they went for it on fourth and one and didn't get it. Cam and, Jeffries. And Gilbert came out of nowhere and stopped him a yard short. Where I think Cam Jeffries made that tackle. Know, Cam Jeffries and I think Gilbert came in. Gilbert forced, like I think, yeah. Gilbert, make... Gilbert forced him towards, forced him to go outside, and then Jeffries was outside. Jeffries made the initial hit, and Gilbert cleaned it up. Yeah, right. But but that last year, that's a first down, and that drive keeps going, and maybe they score a touchdown and win the game. Right. So it's the you know third and six where you hold them to five, and you know first and ten where. Last year it was six yards, and this year maybe it's three yards. Yep. You know they just look they look different. You know there weren't they they had a couple runs, but I mean you take out that seventy four yard run, they had thirty rushes for seventy yards, and one of those thirty was a twenty three yard run by Casimir Allen. Yeah. And Spate had Spate had a scramble for probably like fifteen or sixteen yards. So really. It's like 28 runs for about 50 yards. No, not even that. 28 runs for 35 yards. 40 yards. I mean, if you're taking, you know, what? 25 and 15 out of... 23 off of 70 is 47. (laughs) Then you take another 15 off. Yeah. 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 They didn't do anything running between the tackles. Man, that counts. That counts sacks. Sacks, yeah. College rushing counts as sacks, but... Or sex count for rushing in college, um, but I mean there really wasn't a lot of room, and I don't know why there would be more this week, like some exorbitant amount of room. And really, on that six seventy four yard run, Perry Young was there. He just missed the tackle. Yeah, he missed the tackle at the line of scrimmage. That should have been a yeah. one yard gain. I mean, he was in the hole. You know, Dove got, had hit his leg, but just didn't get him. So. And if Miami's going to sit back there and pass all day. Right. You know. They're not. I mean, UC's game plan against UCLA was to, I mean, they weren't vanilla. They sent pressure. They mixed it up. They're not just going to sit back and play like quarters coverage and rush four guys and let Miami try to, you know, dink and dunk or pick them apart. I mean, they're going to blitz. They're going to disguise. They're going to do the same stuff they did to UCLA. Uh, one more thing to get to before we get out of here. Uh, it, UC made it official today. Prince Gillum has uh, enrolled and begun taking classes. Uh, probably take him a week or so to go through all the physicals and heart tests and all that stuff to, to get on the practice court. But uh, Mick Cronin added to the roster a six foot seven. He's listed six foot seven, two hundred and twenty pound, uh, late addition at power forward. Um, as I mentioned on the, the message board, this thing, everybody was, you know, everybody was kind of clamoring for why there hasn't been a lot of recruiting news this off season. Um, this was done in pretty much late April, early May. And it had to be because the kid completed his senior year in the summer. You know, he, he took between the very end, you know, once the decision was made from then until Friday, the kid completed his senior year. He wasn't really, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of other stuff that got out about who was interested in him after a great summer on, on the EYBL circuit because schools were pretty much, you know, told 
he's not coming. Like there, you can you can inquire, and if things change, we'll be more than willing to listen. You can offer, but the reality is, you know, he's already got something happening. Um, I, I think he's going to be a really good addition because he gives somebody a he gives Cincinnati a big man that knows how to put the ball in the basket from ten feet and in, and. With the bigs that they've got, I think that's the skill set that's missing from the group of bigs that they have. And also, he's a very, very good rebounder. I think for for what Mick Cronin had in terms of his roster, getting this kid to come in, and I would say 95% chance he redshirts. Something's going to have to happen for him not to redshirt this year. Um, I don't see that as likely. I see him redshirting this year and being a freshman in 2019 and essentially being in the class that he was supposed to be in. But instead of being at a prep school this year, he'll be at Cincinnati. He'll be with Mike Rayfelt. He'll be in the strength and conditioning program. And then when the season ends, he officially becomes part of the, you know, part of the, the plan in April. And I think people don't realize that's a big difference from when kids come in in the summer, you get here in June, you get here in July you know, if you can get started in April and you have April, May, and you've got all that 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 extra time behind you, it makes the transition a lot easier. You're not trying, you're not chasing your tail uh, in June and July when everybody else is trying to fine tune things. So, uh, I think a really big addition for Mick Cronin. I think this one's going to be one people look back at and go, "That was pretty impressive to be able to get that guy." Yeah, I, th- I think he he seems like he fits. Uh, what what they are trying to do. So, you know, I know a lot of people, and I've, I've kind of said he, his game kind of reminds me of Hicks, Eric Hicks, maybe a little bit more outside ability. But, if I mean, if he comes anywhere close to that, I think fans will be pretty happy. Yeah. So that leaves one spot for 2019, um, the end of the month. Uh, Francisco Ferrebello. Francisco Ferrebello. The uh, youth point guard for the Argentinian national team over the last three, four years uh, will be here on a visit. He's down to Cincinnati and TCU. Um, he'll visit Cincinnati on Thursday and Friday of that week, TCU on Saturday and Sunday, um, and then should be coming to a decision. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, if they get that taken care of, pretty much wrapped up. And, you know, you, yeah. can, you can kind of move on to 2020. I mean, obviously, you got to keep some, some irons in the fire in case there's a transfer or Darren Cumberland leaves for the NBA. You know, you, you have to always stay prepared. But essentially, we're at a point right now where there's not going to be a lot of recruiting news for the 2019 class because the roster's, for all intents and purposes, pretty much set minus, you know, having one to play with that you would think that it would be a a point guard type with, Mm -hmm. you know, Logan Johnson going into his sophomore year being the first guy. And then, you know, Samari Curtis can, you know, we've talked about he's going to be able to handle some ball handling responsibilities, but you would still probably like to have at least a, a backup point guard or a number two point guard. Uh, on the roster with Logan Johnson. <coughs> Other than that, I think we're pretty good. You got anything else? I don't think so. It was a, another bang-up week of football from the American Athletic Conference. I'll just <laughs> say that. This week will be interesting. There is a lot of, um, I think, winnable games of, AAC teams against Power 5 teams. I know Saturday at noon, you got Houston and Arizona. You also have USF and Georgia Tech. I think both those games are the ABC ESPN2 crossover games. So both of them will be, you know, seen by a lot of people. Um, my, my sleeper team, Temple, really had a doozy against Villanova to start the year. Oof. That's not that's not looking good for your prediction of Temple, but they've kind of done no. this before, where they've laid a stinker in the out of conference and then gotten it together as the season went on. So yeah, so you know, hopefully, you know, UCF 
Memphis kind of did their thing. And then it was, you know, UC's win was definitely the highest profile. I think it was the only Power Five, the only AAC Power Five game last week. Yeah, most teams either played down or like Navy played Hawaii, so kind of similar conference stature. Absolutely. This week, I know there's, I know there's several this week, but. Um, it'll be interesting to see how those go and we'll get to watch a bunch of them since we won't kick off until 8 o'clock. Right. <clears throat> Just a reminder, www.tracepontas.com slash coffee, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee and get your uh, either whole bean or ground coffee, light, medium, dark, French roast. You can even get it in K-cups. That's new. You go there, you get your coffee, you sign up for a one, two, or four-week subscription on how often you want your coffee delivered, and you enter the code BEARCATS, B-E-A-R-C-A-T-S, at checkout, and that gives you 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription with that code. Thanks to the fine folks at Trace Pontas Coffee for being the first advertiser here on the Bearcat Journal podcast. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we'll be able to announce another, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, an official BCJ watch party for the UConn game. Maybe. Maybe. I think there's a pretty good chance. At a place that has beer. I hope so. And pizza. Pretty good pizza. I had a pizza today. It was pretty good. It was National Cheese Pizza Day, but I'm not a cheese pizza guy. No. There was cheese on it. Well, yeah, but I'm not. There has to be other stuff in it, too. There was also pepperoni and meatballs. It was pretty good. It was, it was a good pie. So it sounds wonderful. It did. It was pretty good. I, I, I should have just invited you since you were off today. Yeah. <laughs> you could have come and joined us, me and Berg, for lunch. How about this? This, yeah. is, this is a bold move. They ordered a pizza without telling us what they ordered for us. Hey, they must have known you were you know, a meat lovers kind of kind of group. They got it right. I mean, I'll give them credit. They got it right. That was it was a it was a it was a gutsy move. It was a uh, I, I like the uh, the chutzpah to order yeah. to order the pizza and then come to the, the 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 meeting and say we ordered you a pizza. Oh, is it good? <laughs> will i like it but uh hopefully we'll be able to announce that here in the next week or two and uh that would be a, a local a local sponsorship for the bcj podcast and future you know maybe uh some live podcasts definitely some watch parties for away games uh some things like that uh for for the members of bcj and other Bearcat fans out there to enjoy. We are also... I know this will make a lot of people happy. Uh, we should be on iTunes here this week. I finally submitted Thank all... Thank God. I finally submitted all the paperwork. And I... I if, it, if it works like I think it's going to work, all the past episodes will be on iTunes. At least like the last, I think, 50. 54 episodes. Um, oh, since we switched okay. over to SoundCloud. Uh, All of those episodes will be on iTunes, so you will be able to go back and check out all the past episodes if you missed anything, like our season preview, our talk with Tony Pike. Uh, There's all kinds of good stuff on there. So, um, but I think that's it. I think we're good. You good? I'm good. You want me to send you some coffee? (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good with that, too. But glad they got on board. I've heard heard great things, so hopefully our fans, you know, Check it out and try it out and take advantage of the uh, 20% off promo code right now. I tried to get the, the place we were at today to put a keg in my car on the way out, but they didn't do it. I'm stunned. I know. I wish it would have happened. I'd have just been sitting here with the keg right next to me in like a trash can with ice around it doing this podcast, hammering the keg, keg stands, whole nine yards. <laughs> there you go. All right, that's going to wrap it up. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. 
It's the battle for the victory bell. The Bearcats trying to win it for the 13th consecutive time. We will see you at Paul Brown Stadium, 8 o'clock on Saturday night. And uh, we will also see you next week as we preview Alabama a and I want I want somebody from the band. I want to talk about the band, the <laughs> Alabama a and band next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. It's the VCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>